In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to The Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. Tonight we have some great topics teed up for you. Um, We will start off by talking about uh, Nancy Pelosi and the infrastructure vote. Um, Then we're going to talk about the debt ceiling in a kind of interrelated uh, subject. Um, And then finally we'll talk about YouTube's recent ban of anti-vaccine content on its platform. So tons of good topics tonight. Yeah, and I'm really excited about our discussion on the infrastructure vote because right now, as we're recording this specific thing that we're saying, uh, we don't know what happened. Yeah, the vote is not yet in yet. (laughs) The vote is not yet in. So you're actually going to hear us almost reacting in in real time. If they even have it. If they even have the vote, which... Why? 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm gonna have some shit to say about Nancy Pelosi, uh, but in the meantime, or maybe not, or maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I'm still <laughs> gonna have some shit hope. to say about her, like regardless. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so there's really not much more to say about that. Michael, do you have the COVID numbers? Fuck sure transitioning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so worldwide, we've hit 234 million uh, total cases, uh, which is up from 231 million cases last week. So that's 3 million new cases in a week or nearly 430,000 a day, which is about where we were um, last week as well. Uh, So far, we've hit 4.79 million deaths, which is up from 4.74 million last week. So that's 50,000 new deaths in a week, um, about 7.1 thousand a day, which is actually a a pretty big improvement from 8.5 thousand deaths per day from the week before. Um, at this point, 46.4% of the world's population has at least one dose, um, which is great, but we have a way, way, way further to go. Um, you know, the U.S. is one of the larger nations in the world, and we're not that much higher than, than that number. Um, but come on. Uh, these big authoritarian nations need to force other people to get vaccines. <laughs> what good is authoritarianism? <laughs> um, and in the U.S. at this point, um, we've hit 44.3 million cases, which is up from 43.5 million uh, last week. So that's 800,000 new cases in a week, or about 114,000 new cases per day, which is actually down from 129,000 cases per day from the week before. Um, at this point, we've hit 215,000 deaths in the U.S., up from 201,000 last week. So 14,000 new deaths in a week, uh, which is about 2,000 a day and pretty much the same as the week before. Um, in the U.S., at this point, 56% of the population has been f- uh, fully va- vaccinated, with 65% having at least one dose, um, which, again, is, is another week of, on, on both metrics, an increase of just 1% from 55 and 50 and 64%, um, respectively. So, un- unfortunately, the news for COVID, as it's been for the past few weeks, is like, 
Keep wearing it's a mask. It's not terrible. It's not like, yeah, well, it is terrible. It is terrible. It's not the worst it's been. It's far from over. We just got to keep keep doing what we're doing. Basically, if you value other people's lives, wear a mask and blame Tucker Carlson. Yeah. And if you don't value other people's lives, fuck you and wear a mask and blame Tucker Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I, I'm so tired of wearing a mask in class. Like, I... The other day, I was out of breath my entire class. Yeah. Like, while I was, while I was speaking. Um, yeah. I was just out of breath the entire class. I, the entire time I was talking, I was just like, <gasps> like it was, it was terrible. It sucks. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Get fucking it vaccinated. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> please. You gotta, you gotta end this thing. Pleasey, please. Yeah. With a cherry on top, with a, yep. with a, um, with a sterilized cherry on top. <laughs> I don't know. It did. Is there is there a way that you sterilize cherries? Is there like a process? Not, I don't think that's like a normal thing to do, <laughs> but in COVID, <laughs> nothing's normal. <laughs> I saw this I saw this uh, fail video online of this dude who was like uh, trying to follow directions for making chicken, and the first direction he saw was wash the chicken, and he so, he used dish soap to wash yep. it. Yeah, that's classic. <laughs> It's not a good move. <laughs> I mean, oh, maybe it was. It depends I on was, how thoroughly you rinse the chicken. I was afterwards. cringing so hard <laughs> while watching it. That's really funny. I don't know. After and, COVID numbers, I just need to laugh for a second. Yeah. And now we will smoothly transition to discussion of infrastructure. Okay. So for our first segment, we're talking about uh, something that may be happening right now, which is um, the House vote on... Uh, the infrastructure package, the bipartisan infrastructure deal, uh, funding you know traditional infrastructure. It's the it's the one trillion dollar one, uh, supported by both uh, Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. It's passed the Senate. It's the only hurdle before getting to Biden's desk is getting out of the House. Previously, Nancy Pelosi has said that she would not bring it up for a vote unless the uh, partisan progressive build back better plan currently clocked at 3.5 trillion dollars um unless they you know democrats in the senate reached an agreement on that so that they could you know you know they would be able to pass that bill um and then she went ahead and decided that she would commit to having a vote tonight even though the 3.5 trillion dollar bill is is not anywhere close to being signed on by cinema and mansion yeah so now we're in a pickle so I would like to I would like to go ahead and start out by apologizing to Nancy Pelosi. You see, when she had originally said that the plan was to do a bifurcated strategy, um, and that she would stick to the whole, uh, we are going to pass the the bipartisan bill when you pass the partisan bill. I gave her credit for it. I gave her praise for it. So I'd just like to apologize to Nancy yeah. Pelosi yeah. for accusing her of having integrity. Um, I know that that Insulting. was a that was a major insult, um, and and you know I I I will try to refrain from making that mistake in the future, because clearly, you are just a fucking cowardly corporate hack, just like I always thought you were. Huzzah! 
<laughs> like, oh my God, when I saw this, I, I almost threw my phone. <laughs> like, and, and what's annoying is that the reason why this is happening is because she thinks that progressives were bluffing. Yeah. All right. So Pramila Jayapal, who is the head of the, of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, said that half of our members, and there's about 90 members, half of our members will vote against this, the, 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 the bipartisan bill, unless the Build Back Better plan is passed. Pramila Jayapal said that. Now, even if you were able to get some Republican votes, the bill is dead. If, yeah. if that happens, yep. all right, the bill the is just dead. Yeah. Um, and Nancy Pelosi assumed that they were just bluffing. Yeah. So then Pramila Jayapal comes out and says, uh, no, the fuck we weren't bluffing. We will kill this. If you, if you're gonna, if you vote on this, we will kill this. And at this point, and we're recording this at nine 20 on Thursday night, we still don't know if there's going to be a vote tonight. Tonight, because because she still doesn't, she still doesn't seem to get. Oh, they're not bluffing. Yeah, this blows up if votes. I have if I have a, a vote tonight. And the reason why she thinks that is because she's used to progressives caving. Yes, right? she's used to progressives caving to establishment interests. All right, she's used to that. She's used to progressives not fighting. And look, I have I have been defensive towards progressives before. Um, because I think that, you know, the people with the right ideology should be encouraged, but I've also tried to be critical of the fact that oftentimes they don't fight. They don't, yeah. uh, they don't use the leverage that they have in order to make sure that shit gets passed. So I am still firmly of the position right now that if they, if they put that bill up for a vote if they go against what they promised they were going to do shoot the hostage mm -hmm. and the reason why i say that yes it sucks yes it sucks yes it means that we didn't get anything but next time she's gonna know you ain't bluffing yeah it, it it's it's so obvious that she is used to the goalpost moving yeah like you're right like like um Pramila Jayapal like, just said recently, quote, we articulated this position more than three months ago, and today it is still unchanged. Progressives will vote for both bills, but a majority of our members will only vote for the infrastructure bill after the president's visionary Build Back Better uh, Act passes. It's like, it's just the same thing that they've been saying. And yeah. somehow they don't, she doesn't get it. And it's funny because like, she, like, as of a few days ago, just decided to move the goalpost. She was yeah. like, yes, I'm totally on board with this plan. It's going to be both. It's going to be both or nothing, like, absolutely. And in my mind, when she said that, I was like, you know what? She probably thinks that at some that something is going to change between now and then that gives her a jail, like a get-out-of-jail-free card. And you can tell she was shopping around for those things um, because um, – she was she came out, you know, saying that, like, well, we have to bring this up for a vote because we need the one trillion dollar infrastructure bill to pass in order to fund, you know, our transportation agencies and stuff like that. So we we will have, you know, if we don't fund those things, we're going to be totally screwed. So this spending, 
you know, bill that's coming due on Thursday night means that we'll have to have a bill or, you know, have to have that vote by Thursday night. But then they pass this continuing resolution and that goes up in smoke. And now she's like, well, um, we just we just have to. It's really. (laughs) (laughs) I already said it. I can't take it back now. I'm sorry. <laughs> the the yeah, background like information has changed, house. but but now it's like, God damn it! <laughs> Just for once, um, yeah, and like and like you know she's right in a way. The Build Back Better bill is not ready. It will not pass the Senate. It will fail by at least one, if not two, votes through going through reconciliation. That it's going to take time to get to a place. Mansion and Cinema have not been cooperative and not been helpful. They have barely contributed to these discussions. It's been like it's it, the Democrats are like you know a, a theologian walking up to like a Bible thumping street preacher, and the theologian is trying to like discuss nuanced points of religion, and the street you know preachers just yelling about how lesbians are going to hell that is the relationship between the progressives and joe manchin and cinema at this point they're like totally being unhelpful but we can't give up this leverage yeah sure the the infrastructure bill has been sitting in the house it'll be fine we've got this continuing resolution it's going to be okay like we've got we can't give up this leverage yeah and Let's also not forget who she's caving to. She's caving to Joe fucking Manchin and Kirsten fucking Cinema. Yeah. And you know, here's here's what's going to happen. All right? If if they do have a vote and it fails and everything blows up, which by the way, if that does happen, like Democrats can kiss majority control goodbye. Yes. Um like Biden's entire legislative agenda is pretty much gone. Dead. It's like, dead. It's just dead. Um, and you know what they're going to do? You know what mainstream media is going to do? You know what Nancy Pelosi is going to do? They're going to turn around, point at the progressives and say, it was their fault. It was their yep. fault. All right. Let's be clear. The person that she's caving to, the person that she's trying to defend is Joe Manchin. All right. And Kirsten Cinema. But, but let's focus on Joe Manchin for just a second. All right, because because the, the, the argument that media and the argument that Nancy Pelosi is going to say is that these progressives are just being so unreasonable. All right. You can't deal with the fact that there are some people in the Senate that just disagree with you. All right. You know that there are moderates like Joe Manchin that just just have disagreements with you. So let's be clear about one thing. Joe Manchin is not a principled moderate. All right. He's not some principled guy. This has nothing to do with him just thinking, oh, well, I just, I just believe in the principle of, of saving the deficit. Mm-hmm. That's, that is not the case at all, all right? The reason why Joe Manchin is holding this up, and this is not that fucking, this is not that fucking complicated, it's the fact that um, that last year he made a half a million dollars from his son's coal company. He got $4.5 million from Energy Systems Inc. and Farmington Resources Inc. He also, and this this is hilarious. So in June, there's an Exxon lobbyist that they, um, 
that told his name was uh, Keith McCoy, and he told Greenpeace that that Mansion among and this is this is an Exxon lobbyist that Mansion was their key target for um for lobbying efforts for donations, and that he has received more donations from coal, oil, and gas companies in his campaign in in this campaign cycle than any other senator. <laughs> all right, than any other senator at all. And it's because they know that he is a key vote. They want to make sure that he stays in their pocket. Yeah. All right. So Which the is why reason he's moving the goalpost. Yeah, exactly. The reason why he is he is doing this. And and look, he came forth and said, "Oh, I'll support a uh, a a safety net package of 1.5 trillion dollars which is less than half of the 3.5 trillion dollars and let's not forget that the 3.5 trillion dollars was a compromise mm-hmm. because the original plan that Bernie wanted was 6 trillion dollars that was the original plan and he compromised with the 3.5 trillion dollar plan and now Joe Manchin is demanding $1.5 trillion. And it's because he knows that the people that line his pockets, the companies that he makes money from, that he is getting rich off of, he knows that they will not benefit from this, from this bill, that they will be taxed, and also that this bill will take steps in order to fight against fossil fuels and promote green energy because the fucking planet is dying. He knows that. But he doesn't want to affect his bottom line. The only reason why he is doing this, it has nothing to do with principles. The only reason why he is doing this is because he's a corrupt politician. That's why he's doing this. He's a corrupt politician. And the sooner that people get that through their heads, the sooner we can start recognizing that we need to throw this fucker out of the Democratic Party. All right? We need to primary his ass. If he, if he kills this, we need to primary his ass, all right? But that's not what they're going to say. What they're going to say is that it was the progressives that, that killed this bill because they had the audacity, they had the audacity to go along with the original plan that Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Joe Biden came up with. That's what they're going to say. And you can't let them say that. Yeah. It's so screwed up. <clears throat> it is so fucked up. And the thing is, like, I think you're right. Like, I think if we fail to pass the Build Back Better plan and the infrastructure plan, we will lose control of the House and the Senate at the next midterms. Our only path forward is to pass both. Like, politically, yeah, even politically, it is the only path that makes sense. And, like... It is crazy that that Manchin and and now even like Pelosi are signing up for for that at this point. It just it blows my mind. I can't believe that yeah, that rather than like saying like get on board Joe Manchin or we're going to fucking primary you out like that they're willing to just put democratic control of the government on the line by yeah. failing to get the the promised agenda passed at this point you know at this point biden has not delivered yeah on on anything that he promised 
not not yeah. a, even a little bit. He hasn't done. He hasn't delivered on humane um, immigration. Yeah, he got us out of Afghanistan and did it in a way that got a lot of heat. Yeah, right, rightfully so. Uh, he's I mean, you know they haven't passed this like his Build Back Better plan. He hasn't delivered jobs. He hasn't delivered us from the pandemic. And and again, these things are really hard to do. They're really hard to do. But without getting at least one fucking piece of it done, what what argument does he have? What arguments do the Democrats have that we should continue to hold the reins of power? Yeah. Yeah. You know, better than Trump does only worked when Trump was in office. Yeah. I mean, he's not in office. You got to be better than yourselves. And, you know, an interesting thing that I think that we should also take into mind as a path forward is actually something that Joe Manchin said today when people were asking him questions about the, uh, the, the Build Back Better plan, about the fact that he was saying, hey, I will not vote for a bill that is any more than $1.5 trillion. You know what he said? Elect more liberals. Okay, so now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Good Actually. So Nathan, why do we do Good Actually every because, week? Because the world sucks, you know? Yeah. The world really sucks, especially with the topics we're talking about tonight. The world mm. really sucks sometimes. But sometimes, when you look around and you look really hard, like really hard, like with binoculars, with lenses yeah. made from a uh, from a, a microscope. Wow. You so can maybe actually just a microscope. See, you can actually yeah. see the good actually is all around us. Wow. And That's amazing. Sometimes it's nice to celebrate that. Yeah. So our good actually this week centers around a, uh, a veteran of Iraq named Mike Preissner. So... Mike Preisner is, has become an anti-war activist, and there was a there was a speech that former President George W. Bush was giving. I don't even know what the speech was about, but he crashed it, and in the middle of the speech, started yelling at Bush. He said, "Quote, Mr. Bush, when are you going to apologize for the millions of Iraqis that are dead because you lied?" You lied about weapons of mass destruction. You lied about connections to 9-11. You lied about Iraq being a threat. Um, my friends are dead. You killed people. You lied. My friends are dead because you lied. You need to apologize. Apologize. Hmm. And the thing is, I have been feeling so disheartened by a lot of people, even people that I respect within the Democratic Party or even in some leftist circles, not a lot in leftist circles, but some, that are starting to try to rehabilitate George W. Bush's reputation because mm. Trump just broke them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the, he just reset the bar way too low. Yeah, so like a lot of people like the fact that George W. Bush did not like Donald Trump. And objectively, George W. Bush's domestic policy in a lot of ways was not quite as bad as Trump's domestic policy, especially, especially if we're talking about immigration, you know, mm -hmm. especially if we're talking about immigration. I mean, if we're talking about taxes, 
they were basically the same. But if we're talking about immigration, you know, Bush was definitely better. And, you know, he's he's a much nicer person, at least interpersonally. <laughs> yeah. um, however, we cannot forget that this motherfucker is a war criminal. He is responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths for lying us into a war, an illegal and offensive war against a country that did not attack us. And honestly, this right here should happen everywhere he goes. He should not be able to show his face in public without somebody running up to him and reminding him that you lied us into a war that costed millions of lives and millions of dollars. All right. You, he, he, he should, he should not be able to go anywhere without somebody doing this. All right. I hope that this becomes normal, but I give, I give huge credit to Mike Preissner for this. All right. Keep doing this. Keep fighting the good fight. Don't let anybody forget about the shit that George W. Bush did. All right. He's a war criminal. He should be in prison for what he did. I mean, Trump did some really fucked up things foreign policy wise, but like if we're talking about war crimes, Trump can't even hold a candle to, to, to the shit that George Bush did. It's a shame when uh, you're, you have to compare your presence presidents based on how many and how bad their war crimes were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's good actually. <laughs> yeah, that's good action. <laughs> so for our second segment tonight, uh, it's another kind of fiscally focused segment um, centered around more financial bills going through uh, Congress. So we're specifically talking about the debt ceiling and the continuing resolution um, that just made it onto Biden's desk um, just recently. So... Um, so we want to talk through kind of like do a reminder of like kind of what the debt ceiling is, like what its ramifications are and kind of what, uh, just passed. Um, yeah. And what, what was a little bit confusing for me was that the, the continual funding of the government and the raising of the debt ceiling are two different things that they attempted to put in, to put in the same bill, but that attempt ended up getting blocked by douchebag asshole, I mean Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it I it sl- slips out. It it slips out sometimes. Um, yeah. So because of that, we might be heading for financial Armageddon as some uh, as sure. as some. But not this, not today, not today, so not today. So there you go. <laughs> so don't yeah, worry. So, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit more about splitting those two things out. So the continuing resolution is like the spending bill. That was. That is what appropriates funds in order to keep the government open. That was going to expire. We are going to be out of time as of midnight on Thursday. Um, as of 8.30 on Thursday at the time of recording, um, I believe it's currently sitting on Biden's desk. There's been this a bipartisan version of it that has passed um, through the House and the Senate and is sitting on his desk. And basically all it is, it's a continuing resolution. It's, it's a, they are... Um, you know, continuing with like funding, they've added in some hurricane relief funding and, and other things, but it's it's not nothing too special or crazy. It kind of keeps the lights on. Yeah, uh, it's it really also, important. <laughs> yeah, it is really important. It also does include um, it does actually include some funding for Afghan refugees, um, mm-hmm. which which I, I I thought was really good. 
Yeah. Um, what is kind of what, what I thought was kind of funny was at the last minute, um, Tom Cotton tried to propose an amendment to basically make it so that there would be less benefits for Afghan refugees because he just he just couldn't resist being yeah, complete. Yeah. Just like, a little bit more maniacal. Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. It. Sometimes you can't help yourself. Yeah. yeah. It slips out. Yeah, um, it slips out. He's he's one of the he's one of the few like he's he's a very special brand of conservative. Mm-hmm. You know, you have you punitive. Have, well, yeah. Well, you have like you have war hawks and you have paleo conservative and he's just kind of a a mix of both Mm. yeah that's special that's that's quite a cocktail um yeah so you know he's he he couples along the uh the imperialism and the racism Mm -hmm. and of course Mm -hmm. the you know the elitism all into one perfect blend of awful what what state is he from? Is that uh, uh, is that Arkansas? I think it's Arkansas. Yeah, don't go to Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so basically, the the funding measure uh, funds the government uh, through December third, at which point Congress would have to adopt either another short term fix, um, or they would have to pass a bunch of appropriation bills that would fund these federal agencies through twenty twenty two. The the Democrats have been you know, working on this spend this continuing resolution, the spending bill for a while. And as Nathan mentioned, they were trying to couple it together with the, with uh, a provision increasing the debt limit. Um, so the, the debt limit limit or the debt ceiling is something different, um, which is also really important. So the debt limit is the total amount of money that, the United States is allowed to owe. And so um, you have definitely heard about the debt ceiling before. For the past decade or so, mostly Republicans, but Democrats as well, have been using it as a negotiation tactic. So when when we get close to the debt ceiling, shit's going to hit the fan. Um, And so it's basically this game of chicken to see whose legislative priorities uh, they can get on the table and get passed. Um, you know, uh, to prevent the world from devolving into fiscal uh, hell. Um, and that's what we're kind of looking down now. So the, tonight, Thursday, was the spending bill that needed to be passed, which was passed. Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, has made it clear that by October 18th, unless we raise the debt ceiling, the United States will no longer be able to pay its bills and we will default yeah. on those bills. Yeah. So basically, we the the bill that passed at the, the tonight, the night that Michael and I are recording this, um, is the bill that funds the government. All right. What Janet Yellen is talking about is the amount of debt that we're allowed to have. Now, yeah. we have never gone in default. That has never yeah. happened in the history of the United States. However, at times, uh, we have run out of money. Um, and not had a government to fund and had a government shut down because a spending bill was not, uh, did not end up happening. That happened yeah. during negotiations over the Dream Act. That happened during negotiations over the Affordable Care Act. Um, that that has happened before. It's bad. It's terrible. It's not the end of the world. However, going in default might be the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, that would be. 
really, really bad. Um, so what so, would happen? Uh, it's I mean, it's a little unclear what would happen. One thing would definitely happen is that the country's credit rating would be downgraded, which would limit our ability to borrow and would make it so that it would cost us more money to borrow. And so if you're a fiscal hawk, you do not want us to default on our debt mm-hmm. because it will literally cost us more money to, to borrow in the future as well. The other thing is the Republicans are in totally bad faith claiming like the re- the thing is the Republicans were going to be fine with a spending bill. They were trying to fight against the debt limit, raising the debt limit. And and what they're the argument that they are trying to put forward, which they do every you know couple of years, is that um, they don't want to raise the debt ceiling in order to fund the Democratic agenda. So so um, Republican you know Senate Majority Le- Minority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, uh, is saying that you know. Well, we're not going to raise the debt limit. You guys are just going to pass your three point five trillion dollar, um, you know, uh, progressive build back better plan, and we're not going to raise the debt limit, so you can't pay for it. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to figure out how to raise the debt limit on your own, which is an entirely bad faith and entirely inane argument to make. Yeah, because the debt limit is not about future spending the debt limit is about past spending so so let's break this down let's i want to first put out an example that's like of of how you how one might be thinking about how it makes sense to the average joe the average person probably thinks about our debt as their own debt right like you have for instance on your credit card you've got a credit limit, which is the maximum amount that you're allowed to borrow because that's perceived to be the max, theoretically the maximum amount you would be able to pay back. Um, and so that makes sense because you don't want to borrow more than you should. And so um, in that case, it, you know, and, and then what you do is then you buy stuff and you put it on the card and then you pay it down. Um, and so, you know, it makes sense that our government would have the same kind of debt, right? Unfortunately, it's like way more complicated than that because that's not actually how it's really working in this case. So the federal books are run more like a business. So we've made commitments to buy stuff, right? And we've made and we've and um and we've purchased stuff in the past that we owe payments on, right? And so we've already spent that money, right? We've already gotten stuff. We've already you know, receive the economic and benefit and all these things. We've already spent the money. It's just a payment plan. And so what the debt ceiling is, is about borrowing cash, not about the money we've already spent. So we're just borrowing cash in order to make the payments on the things we've already done. So, um, so that's why it's defaulting because it's, we've already made these commitments. We've already spent this money. It's just a matter of borrowing cash in order to be able to make those payments, uh, you know, to have enough literal cash money to, yeah. to pay things. Um, so it's actually, so I was kind of thinking, I was thinking of like a different example, which maybe will be helpful to show like how crazy this argument is. 
imagine that you run your town's water tower and the water tower is uh, the federal fiscal budget, right? But there's a problem. Your water tower has a leak, which is our def, which is, you know, the analogy to our deficit. So basically in a fully funded water tower, you would have water going out and an equivalent amount of water coming in. It's balanced. There's no leak. Everything works. When you run a deficit, not only do you have your normal water going out, but you've got uh, more water going out via the leak than the water coming in. And so, um, you know, the, the appropriate thing to do, if you're the manager of the water tower, is to invest in figuring out a way to plug that leak, to balance the budget. What Republicans are proposing is to cut off the water. No more water going into the water tank. So sure, no more leak, but no more water. So basically what you're saying is that um, Mitch McConnell is lying? Yes, <laughs> that is what I'm saying. And he knows it. He knows yeah. that he's lying. And let's also, let's also be clear. So his, his strategy right now is to try to use this as leverage to block the human infrastructure bill. Mm -hmm. So just think about that for a second, all right? The human infrastructure bill is about, um, it's about child care. It's about uh, free community college. Mm -hmm. It's about um, fighting against climate change. It's about expanding health care. And he is willing to risk financial Armageddon yeah. to prevent people from getting that. Yep. So remember how during the Trump administration, I would very frequently come on and say, hey, look, Trump is terrible. Trump is horrible. He is not the worst politician mm -hmm. in Washington. All right. The worst, the most corrupt politician, the most horrifically atrocious, evil politician in America is Mitch McConnell. Remember when I used to say that all the time? I do. This I do. is what I fucking meant I, by that. I really, really agree with you. <laughs> this is it's what a, I meant by yeah. that. His, you know, the Trump was here for four years. It was terrible. He was yeah. horrible. But Mitch McConnell has so much more power, so much more pull, and so much more cunning, evil yes. cunning than Trump totally. ever did. Yeah. Literally, the choice on his desk is, like, improve a bunch of people's lives or... Uh, plunge the U.S. economy into an immediate recession, if not the global economy, cost Americans billions of dollars in wealth and millions of jobs, and take years, if not generations, to recover. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I would bite that bullet. <laughs> if it means keeping babies out of childcare, I would do that. <laughs> like, how fucking how yeah. how evil do you have to be? Like yeah. Yeah and, then, yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, I'm wondering if this will finally be the moment where Democrats realize, hey, the filibuster's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's just, just not, not worth enough. it. I yeah. mean, Chuck Schumer has already said that he does not intend to pass it through reconciliation, mm -hmm. which, I mean, I don't know. I think that might end up being a mistake. But, like, I understand because you can only do it three times a year. Mm-hmm. And that would be the yeah. third time. 
And that's pretty risky. Like if um, that becomes the normal procedure for passing, yeah, like for for increasing the debt ceiling, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But honestly, at this point, basically what happened was Mitch McConnell comes out and says, um, "You're not going to get any Republican votes." And then Chuck Schumer says, "All right, so let's go ahead and have a vote." And then Mitch McConnell says, "Fuck you, we're filibustering." <laughs> like that's yeah. what happened. <laughs> Um, so let's just, let's just be clear about, about what is happening here. Now, I know that in the segment that you just heard us do, which at this point you haven't heard it, like we haven't done the segment yet, but you will have heard us do the segment, which was Mm -hmm. the first segment. You probably podcast magic time. Yeah. You, you, (laughs) you heard me say some really bad things about Democrats, (laughs) And Democrats are horrible in so many ways, but I mean, let's not forget that there is, there is a much worse boogeyman out there. And sometimes I think that this is how Democrat establishment Democrats keep us in check because all they need to do is point to Mitch McConnell and be like, Hey, cartoon villain over here. Yeah. And then we'll, and then even a person who recognizes that the democratic party is flawed and in many ways corrupt is going to see that and be like, I mean, what else can I do? Yeah, sure. You know, I feel like, I feel like we should make a Prospectrum children's book where (laughs) Mitch McConnell is this, is the bad guy. (laughs) I feel like that would really catch on. I mean, you know, we, we already have the perfect animal to turn him into, you know, He'd be Yertle the Turtle. <laughs> All right. And now it's time for our favorite segment. Dershowitz, Dershowitz bag. bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Today, I'm really, really excited about this Dershowitz yeah. bag. Well, real quick, Michael, what what is Dershowitz bag? Why do we why do we do Dershowitz bag sometimes? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Dershowitz bag is a really special award on this show uh it is awarded to someone who makes a point or an argument that is so hilariously self-defeating that it deserves special recognition similar to that that we gave to alan dershowitz or the original d-bag when he argued that uh trump couldn't be impeached for trying to corrupt or trying to make a foreign power corrupt our election um because he was doing it for the best interest of the country in his own mind. Yeah. Amazing. Because him winning would be the best interest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so our Dershowitz bag is, we actually have maybe millions, definitely thousands yeah. of Dershowitz bags today. Um, so there is this trend on social media, mostly on TikTok, of very proud unvaxxed folks um, who have decided to rebel against being called unvaxxed they've decided i'm not you know i don't want to be called that that's a slur that's an incredibly accurate slur so they decided to claim a new a new name for their group purebloods (laughs) yep they are proudly (laughs) proclaiming hey i am no longer you're no longer to refer to me as unvaccinated or unvaxxed now i'm a pureblood baby hell yeah like and they're so they're so proud of themselves for that so nathan Nathan, what what comes to mind when you hear pure blood? <laughs> so the thing about the term pure blood is 
it's a reference to Harry Potter, mm-hmm. you know, the, the purebloods in Harry Potter. But yeah. I think that some people might have read Harry Potter and they didn't realize that Voldemort, the guy that valued pureblood and the people that follow followed him, they were the bad guys. <laughs> like, yeah. using the term pureblood as a, you know, as a, as a feeling, as a instillment of pride, mm-hmm. that was Harry Potter's equivalent of Nazis. Yes. All right? <laughs> they were trying to, yeah. they were trying to do a metaphor for Nazis when they said that. Yeah. <laughs> We've the the term or idea of pure blood has showed up a lot throughout history, and they're always the fucking bad guys. <laughs> you know what results in pure blood? Eugenics. Yeah. <laughs> or incest. Like, what the fuck? Or incest. Oh, that's awesome. What a good approach. You know? That's so funny. It's like a bunch of a bunch of fucking yeah. European dukes, like, my blood is pure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because because they all like they all have sex with their sisters. Like yeah. that's that's how like they do that, it. That that's that's what they use the term pure blood to refer to. Like, yeah, how could you awesome. not see that? How do you not get it? In how do you what not get world that? Are these people like you know what vaccinate? You know, pure blood. Absolutely, you know. I'm gonna claim that. I'm gonna be proud. Uh, yeah, the Nazis they they got at least one thing right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be like if they um, it would be like if they played. The, the the Darth Vader theme song when they walked into a room and were like, yeah, look at me, I'm a hero. It's like, no, no, he was the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was the bad guy, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like if they, they called, um, they called their, uh, their, the, the people that don't wear masks, uh, stormtroopers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. They're like, you know, Thanos, he's onto something. <laughs> and we're going to go ahead and volunteer to be the fifty percent of the population that dies. <laughs> oh god! Oh god! Pure blood, baby. Uh, so so uh, a deep and hearty congratulations. Yeah, to all the, the all the pure blood TikTokers out there for being our Dershowitz best. So for our third segment, as we often do, um, we're having a little bit more of a theoretical conversation. It's certainly grounded in recent news when YouTube came out uh, with a change to its policies that is, um, you know, removing channels and banning content that is uh, pushing anti-vaccination rhetoric and 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 talking points. So so previously, you know, they have had a policy where if you put out uh, anti-COVID nineteen vaccine information. You can have your video taken down or your channel delisted or, or all those things. Um, or like, you know, there was a softer version where you would just wouldn't be promoted. You would have to like search those channels and stuff like that. And then they started taking them down and blocking the videos. And now they've instituted a new policy to block all videos uh, about approved vaccines that include, you know, misinformation and claims. So like examples of this kind of misinformation that wouldn't be allowed would include claims that like the flu vaccine causes infertility or the MMR shot um, causes autism, things like that, like kind of clearly debunked claims about uh, vaccines that have been approved and are, and are, have been deemed to be safe. Yeah. So I feel like Michael, you, you probably already know what I'm going to say about this. 
<laughs> um, so I'm going to let you go first. Uh, well, what, what, are, what are your thoughts yeah. on this? The initially? reason I wanted us to talk about this is because of how it's kind of like a sticky wicket. You know, we're in this yeah. place on this show where like we've got a few topics that we talk about a lot and that's vaccines. That's, that's information and, and good information and that's free speech. And it's like, and this one is just jumbling them all together in this smorgasbord of, of, of challenging stuff. Um, yeah. And I think, I think, I don't think I have a conclusion in my mind yet. Hmm. I'm like really trying to go over these arguments because on, on the one side, like to me, like the highway of information on social media platforms and the really important role that plays in discourse. The fact that like that is where people are sharing are talking. It's like now the public square in a lot of ways. Like I don't, as we've talked about on the show, I don't really want that regulated at the same time. We know that misinformation spreads much, much faster and much more effectively on social media, especially YouTube than on other platforms, you know, in other spaces. It's, it's, it's like an incredibly powerful engine for spreading falsehoods, which like to me is like, well, if the main argument for free speech is that, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant by, by talking about these ideas, the, the truth will rise to the top. Is it, are these, uh, platforms which more effectively than like anything else thwart truth rising to the top, do they somehow defeat that argument? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get that. And I, and I do respect that. I do definitely respect that. Um, for me, and you, you probably knew that this was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, the bottom line for me does come down to one of principle. Yeah. And on principle, I don't like the censorship of free speech, whether mm-hmm. it's the government doing it or a private enterprise doing it. I just don't like it. I don't think it should exist. And let's, and let me, let me like, let me lay out my argument for the principle and then let me lay out my argument in more of a practical way. Yeah. Um, so my argument on principle is the fact that we are leftist commentators or, or podcasters, mm-hmm. right? Now, the left, at least what the left should be, is about critiquing power. It's mm-hmm. about trying to speak truth to power. It's about uh, trying to undermine power structures or traditional power structures. Now, right now in the United States, the traditional power structures are corporations. All right. They're your tech companies like YouTube and Facebook. Um, and honestly, it's your mainstream media outlets like CNN and and, and MSNBC and, and Fox News, all right? Now, of course, I don't take the position that, like, that a lot of right-wingers that I see take about um, those tech companies being, you know, these... Sure. Like, evil, pedophile-loving socialists or whatever. Sure. They're no more evil than... Your normal companies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That being said, they do have a vested interest in maintaining their own personal power. Mm-hmm. All right. 
on top of that, on principle, if we allow certain people to be removed because of what they say, then the floodgates are really hard to shut after that. Yeah. So the point that I want to make is that maybe it like theoretically, all right, if we, if we go ahead and concede the idea that it will prevent the spread of misinformation and lead to more people getting vaccinated, which I'm, you know, which it's not clear, but it could, even if we are going to say that, if we allow this to become a precedent, then what about instances in which a left-wing view goes against what is commonly held to be a fact? Now, the example that I gave last time we had this discussion mm-hmm. was the Iraq war. Yeah. The fact that all media outlets were reporting that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq despite the fact that months before the invasion, the United Nations sent over inspectors that found no weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. But it was just considered fact in mainstream outlets in the United States. So back then, if if YouTube had existed and we had already established the precedent that when somebody is spreading misinformation or what they, they claim to be misinformation, that they can just be banned, what's to stop them from banning... Uh, from from banning leftists who who say that there are no weapons of mass destruction. I mean, and even a more recent example. So the the drone strike that the Biden administration carried out in Afghanistan that killed 10 civilians, including seven children, the official line for most of the media was that of the Pentagon, which is, they terrorists. All right, mm-hmm. we killed terrorists. Yeah, yeah, we're just really now, short ones. Now, you know, to be fair, I will point out the fact that the reason why we know that that wasn't true was because of the New York Times, a mainstream outlet, and they yeah. did some good journalism. Yeah. They did some really good journalism. But prior to that, the truth in most mainstream outlets was we killed terrorists. Mm-hmm. Now, if if that had not been reported in a mainstream outlet like the New York Times. Like, who's to say that an outlet couldn't start banning leftists for claiming that, for claiming something that they say is is misinformation? So that, that to me, is the principled argument, all Mm -hmm. right? If we say that right-wingers, people that that we disagree with, people, you know, even, even if we say people that objectively are wrong can be banned then that is a dangerous precedent, especially considering the fact that, I mean, I, I know that I, I, I've, I've said this before. I know that this is a common talking point, but I think it is an important point. Who fact checks the fact checker? Sure. All right. Do I trust big tech companies like YouTube or Facebook to know what the truth is, to prioritize the truth, to be the arbiters of truth? Fuck no, I don't. Which yeah. brings me to the practical argument. The practical argument is the fact that I am not completely sold on the idea that this is going to decrease the number or increase the number of people that actually get vaccinated. Because yeah. that, that should be the priority. The, the number yeah. one priority should be that, increase the number of people who get vaccinated. I'm not convinced that this is the way to do that. 
because first off, most people already know where they stand on this. Mm-hmm. All right. Most people already know where they stand on this. Another Tucker Carlson video is not going to convince them that this is, yeah. this is where that, that, you know, um, if you, if you agree with being vaccinated, seeing another Tucker Carlson video is probably not going to make you decide not to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Most likely. Um, and most people that I know who are anti-vaxxers and I will, I will, I'll admit this is relatively anecdotal. This is based on the things I've seen from people I know. And also the things that I've seen from conservative commentators that I see that have large followings. The reaction to things like this is always martyrdom. Yes. And the argument that they make is they're so desperate to hide the truth about how terrible vaccines are that they have to impose their socialist will and and ban socialist and fascist, dissenting voice yeah socialist and fascist yeah. <laughs> you know and ban all dissenting viewpoints and you know that's that right there is proof that they have something to hide yeah that we're getting close to the truth <laughs> exactly and of course all of that's bullshit like yeah. and and you know i i will say that um i will say that people that do spread anti-vax bullshit deserve to be heckled everywhere they go. Use your free speech against them. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, but I don't think that they should be censored. And another thing on a practical level is the fact that in my experience, algorithms that that YouTube makes in order to try to, to protect people from certain <clears throat> types of speech are not perfect. Are not perfect. They fuck yeah. up. All right? The the story, the example that I've given for this before was during Adpocalypse uh, when a bunch of YouTube channels got demonetized. Like, every single political YouTube channel got demonetized just overnight. Um, and then even a lot of other channels got demonetized just for stupid-ass reasons. My channel, which was focused on autism issues, it was having videos demonetized left and right because it contains the word autism in the title. Yeah. And it talked about autism and the algorithm was too stupid to distinguish between, uh, between videos that are using the word autism as hate speech. Yeah. Cause apparently the word autism is hate speech. Um, <laughs> And videos <laughs> well, we like, can get into what's implied when people use certain terms for stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and people that were just doing autism advocacy like myself. Yeah. So I don't fucking trust the those algorithms to to distinguish between true like between truthhood and falsehood. I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable for me to say, like, what happens if a video is debunking anti-vax? Yes, um, like I totally. Yeah. What happens if you show a video of like a prominent person like making an anti or anti-vax claim and then you debunk it? Yeah, you know it's like, not an unreasonable thing for me to be concerned about because that exact thing happens to me on YouTube. Yeah, no, I think I think from a practical perspective of just like how do you implement this, you're totally right. Yeah, like, um. Yeah, I think I think you're totally right about that. I think, yeah, and on on the other practical point you made on like whether we think it will actually make a difference that that was my like that was my big worry as well. Even without getting into the stickier like balancing of of social goods um, and principles idea, like 
so so two of the like main channels that were banned were this this guy named Joseph Merkola and Robert F Kennedy Jr. Um, and Merkola is an alternative medicine entrepreneur, so you know he's anti-vax because it makes him money. Uh, Kennedy is a lawyer, son of Senator Robert F Kennedy, and has been part like an anti-vax uh, uh, activist for a long time. And they were both taken down, right? And um, both of them have like stated that in the past that you know they're not automatically against all vaccines, but they believe the information about the risks of vaccines is being suppressed, which leads to your point, Nathan. It's like the irony of of quashing a conspiracy theory through censorship is that that becomes a piece of evidence in favor of the validity of the conspiracy theory. When your conspiracy theory is they're suppressing information, when you suppress information, you're doing it. You're fulfilling the conspiracy theory. Um, So like that you're, you're working against yourself and, um, and like, so like the center for countering digital hate, which tracks vaccine misinformation um, has this list of like a dozen spreaders of disinformation those two guys are are on the list and and you know they're like champ they're like very happy about this because they think like you know about a half a million subscribers are no longer going to be seeing anti-vaccine content on youtube i think they're totally right they won't be seeing anti-vaccine content on youtube um but what people that have studied misinformation have found is that the the communities form around these people they get followers not just subscribers and so they just move to their website or they just move to Facebook that has more lenient policies or they just move to other places that are less restricted and their people stick with them. To Nathan's point, people already know kind of where they fall a lot of times on this issue. And so like there might be some marginal benefit because, you know, the algorithm's not going to be pushing these things onto people and then, you know, they might not get, you know, new subscribers. But I think like, one, the damage has probably significantly already been done. And two, like, I think this is kind of a catch-22 uh, to an action like this. Um, on your point about censorship, too, like, I know that, I know my, often my uh, counterpoint is like, well, you know, like, maybe government, maybe government censorship and, and corporate censorship are slightly different. You know, like, if we care about, if we yeah. think corporations should be able to to make choices about their, about how they run their business, then, you know, we're not entitled to these platforms. I think the risk in this case, though, is like it's pretty clear that, at least to me, it seems pretty clear that YouTube and Facebook and and Instagram probably wouldn't be putting in these policies into place if not for some of the public and even governmental pressure. Like we've seen all of these companies be dragged in front of Congress to testify before we've seen biden call them out for like not doing more to quash you know vaccine misinformation yeah and and that makes me a little nervous because how how far is the distance between a company that is like the public square putting in their own policies and a company that is very responsive to government pressure about the their free free speech policies you know and all of a sudden you have a government that you know like if you take like what the, whatever the next Iraq war is, you know, that's like, yeah. well, actually YouTube, like you may, you may be, you know, not want to censor these videos, but 
you know, for public good, we really need you to stop letting people talk about the fact there's no WMDs in Iraq. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. But I, I would even say that even without that, I don't like it. Sure. Like even even without the government pressure. Yeah. You know, I. Yeah, because it's I, just another it's just it's another, just another powerful actor in, into entity and society. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if freedom is being restricted. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me if it's being restricted by the government or restricted mm-hmm. by corporations. It's being yeah. restricted. Yeah. So if yeah. you have a principled stance in favor of free speech, like, you know, with reasonable limits, like, you know, when we're talking about direct threats of violence, mm-hmm. um, then I just think that that has to be applied across the board. I mean, again, I would like to point out, there are people that I know, that I love, and that I respect very deeply that completely yeah. disagree with me on this. And and I understand the argument. I really do. You know, the argument is basically, well, even if we are talking about um, the threshold should be physical harm, wouldn't mm-hmm. spreading misinformation about vaccination... That leads people not to get like, vaccinated. That leads people yeah. not to get vaccinated. Which is the argument we always make about vaccine mandates, which is really interesting about this issue, is like we we are in favor of something like a COVID vaccine mandate yeah. because it satisfies the libertarian principle that even if you, that like you are putting other people in harm's way at risk, if you don't get the COVID vaccine. So it is a reasonable restriction of freedom in a, in a free society to require that you get it. Yeah. So it's interesting to, the, so it's interesting to then say that like, but spreading information that convinces people not to get the vaccine doesn't, you know, it does not reasonably fall under the same restrictions. Well, the difference for me, though, is one of them causes direct harm and the other one causes indirect harm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's you're like, right. There's it's a thinking like, person in between. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's a thinking person in between. You know, if you refuse to get a vaccine, you are causing, you have the potential to cause direct harm. I mean, think of it this way. You know, um, there's a huge difference between a person saying like, uh, oh, I love street races. Street racing is so fun. Mm-hmm. And a person actually getting into a car yeah. and street racing. Yeah. <laughs> There's even a difference between someone saying, I love street racing. Wouldn't you like to street race? You should go street race. <laughs> or even street and racing then, should be legal. Yes. Or <laughs> you know, all a person of these saying things. street yeah. la- racing should be legal. Yeah. But like once you actually get in the car and actually do it, you're putting people in physical harm's way. So I think that there is absolutely an important measurable difference between the two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's where I would draw the line. So I, I guess the, the disagreement that I have with people and, you know, I, again, I know a lot of leftists that disagree with me on this. I know a lot of like tr- true leftists that, that disagree with me on this. Um, I know a lot of people that I highly respect that disagree with me on this. Ironically, I know a lot of conservatives that agree with me on this for obvious <laughs> reasons. Um, but yeah, this is this is one issue where I'm just like, I I am not comfortable with this. I don't think we should be okay with it. It's not a slippery slope argument mm-hmm. to point out the fact that precedent can lead or can be incorporated in other situations in the future. So yeah. If, if you allow if you allow the argument to be defined as well, we're only going to do this when it's misinformation. 
who decides when it's misinformation. And now we will end our podcast as we usually do on our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is the weather. You know, nice. I know that this, I think this was her, your highlight last week, but like it's finally catching up with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think fall has become my favorite holiday now. Holiday. Like, or <laughs> rather uh, I season. Wish. season. Yeah, I wish. Quarter of the um, year off. <laughs> well, like like last weekend, Jess and I went to a local, local farmer's market. Mm. Maybe, maybe that's my highlight then. Uh, last weekend, we went to a local farmer's market. And... And I was remembered, oh, yeah, fall comes with some really great shit like apple cider, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love apple cider. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a lot of wonderful things that fall comes with. And ever since spring basically stopped existing and just became summer, and winter just became bitter cold all the time. Um, I think fall has become my favorite season because it's just, it feels temp, it actually feels tempered outside and it's the harvest. So like there's, it comes with some of my, my favorite holidays like Thanksgiving and Halloween and it comes with apple cider. So anyway, that's my, maybe apple cider, apple cider, (laughs) (laughs) apple cider is my highlight. Nice. Um, what about you, Michael? What's your highlight? I think my highlight is once again preemptive. I'm really looking forward to this weekend. I've got my my friend's birthday is today. Happy birthday, Milos! Um, and he's having a birthday party tomorrow. And so me and him and our other friend Spencer are going to be DJing, which I've been practicing lately, and is really really fun. Um, so I'm going to get to like DJ a party for the second weekend in a row. And then on Saturday, I'm going to take my motorcycle and I'm going to drive out to Winchester and see my brother and his wife and his kids and and uh, go to my nephew's soccer game and it's going to be it's going to be great. And with that, thank you so much for listening to the Perspectrum and you'll hear from us again next week.